Harlem Capital Partners is a diversity-focused venture capital fund headquartered in New York City. We're on a mission to invest in 1,000 diverse founders over the next 20 years. Current count, 24. Welcome to Road to 1000. Today, we're bringing you part five of our Female Founders series, a collection of honest conversations with trailblazing female founders who are thinking big picture about the state of women and startups in tech. In this series, we'll go deep on what it looks like to scale a business from the ground up, navigate a fundraising process, and overcome curveballs, all while defining success on your own terms. Expect vulnerable and thought-provoking conversation on constantly evolving issues such as the lack of women in executive roles, the double standards applied to female founders, and the impact of venture capital on company growth and startup ecosystems at large. Today, we're speaking with HCP portfolio founder Crystal Huang. Crystal is the founder and CEO of ProSky, a platform giving organizations the ability to innovatively evaluate candidates and develop employees so they can recruit and retain the best diverse teams. So to start off, I would love if you could tell us a little bit more about your entrepreneurial journey and what led you to ProSky. Yeah, for sure. So um, I kind of grew up in an HR family. My dad um, ran organization development for Fortune 500 companies, um, primarily in Asia. And so we were in Singapore for quite some time. Um, so call it the 90s, um, but my dad would actually bring me to his meetings with these C-suite executives. And I remember, you know, reading my book or doing my homework at the corner where when he's talking to like the CEO and telling him who they need to, to terminate, who they need to promote and all that stuff, right? So it's been very ingrained with me on how HR should be. Um, but fast forward that to when I actually started my professional career and, um, I actually help, you know, run marketing um, for companies and had to help uh, hire people um, and and really, and especially one of the companies I worked at um, was actually helping them a lot with their HR process just because they didn't really have anybody um, overseeing it. Um, and I just saw how terrible HR had become. It had become extremely administrative. It wasn't HR that I was brought up to understand. Um, and so I really wanted to kind of change what HR looked like. Um, and from that process, we actually came out to start our own, you know, software company. Yeah, that's amazing. What were some of the main pain points in HR that you wanted to solve with ProSky? Yeah, so quite a few things actually one was the bias um, that came with recruiting um, hiring and promotion um, it wasn't just with diversity issues but um, we, we basically saw it at every company that I've worked at my husband has worked at um, a lot of times people were hired to promote it based on who they were buddies with who they knew um, and that was one of the main pain points that I wanted to change I wanted to give you know everybody um, equal chance and also for the organization to really be able to hire the best people, right? Um, and then next, it was to essentially move um, and change, um, essentially automate the admin role of HR um, and really have HR focus on what they were intended to. 
And so with the ProSky software, we essentially reimagine what human capital software should be like. Um, so we use our software to automate the admin role of HR. Um, and basically we shifted the priority for HR to focus on organization development, structure and succession planning. Um, and what that did was that it started giving, you know, ACM professions the ability to provide more insights and value directly to the C-suite. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a really interesting point about bias regarding recruiting, promotion. I think we're living in a time when corporate America has never been more aware of the importance of equity and inclusion, both kind of for their public image and for their bottom line. So definitely a really relevant, um, relevant issue to be solving. I guess I'm curious as a tech founder building software focused on solving this issue of bias, what are some ways that ProSky is making the recruitment and and promotion process more equitable? And I guess also at large, um, what do you think are some major ways that employers can, can shift their hiring processes to be less biased? Yeah, so, you know, for a lot of companies, Um, They do hiring in a few different ways, right? One is within the geographic location that they're in. Um, Two is by the network that they have. When I say network, it's basically a network of their employees. So that presents definitely a problem for equity, right? So imagine if um, you were, let's let's take Utah, for example, right? Um, You start a company in Utah. You've hired a lot of locals, um, which primarily are not um, minorities, or diverse candidates, so to speak. Um, and then you rely on, um, you know, whether it's the universities or the job market, which again, is not diverse enough. Um, and then, or if you relied on employee referrals, again, these are employees that you're hiring locally. So their network might not be as diverse um, as you want to see it. Um, and yet a lot of these hiring methods and software that people are using are not giving them that virtual aspect of um, hiring people across the nation, which as we know, America is a very diverse country. Um, So what we've done is actually put a lot of emphasis, not so much on the interview process or the resume process, because that really doesn't do anything in helping with that situation. Um, What we have done instead is to create a process where any applicant or any candidate no matter where you are in the U.S., can apply um, using our platform. And the companies can now evaluate them through challenges, through projects, through different forms of testings and evaluations to see what they can bring to the table. And so now the focus is stripped away from what is your name, where are they from, but instead, what can they do? And what we found is that when that focus is shifted in that evaluation, that companies are really looking to hire who really is best for this position. Um, And when you do that, then hiring becomes blind, right? And I am a personal believer that women, that candidates of color are just as good as everyone else and they can prove themselves and show what they can bring to the table. And when they have the opportunity to do so, many of them shine. Um, And that's what a big bulk of ProSky is about. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. It sounds um, like it's definitely solving that issue of an employer reading a resume and seeing maybe the location or guessing at the race or the candidate um, and making more of their hiring decision based off of that. I guess one, I have one last question about uh, this kind of process of building a product, and then I'd love to dive into fundraising. I'm curious with building out a product, 
that uh, strives to change how companies fundamentally are recruiting and, and promoting their candidates. Did you find any pushback from employers in early days? Um, and if so, how did you pivot or, or evolve the product to kind of better fit your customer? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, interestingly, we found a lot of pushbacks from recruiters. Um, but when we spoke to whether it was the C-level executives, the VP, um, you know, they they were loving the process because they understood that this is what HR should be. Um, and it's not to say that recruiters don't understand HR. Um, what we found instead was that the software that has been created and even the newer, you know, outcome tracking systems that most um, recruiters use, um, they, they require very strenuous and very stringent process, right? Um, and we found that about a majority of the software created for HR has actually been created for recruiters, not so much for the hiring managers or the director of HRs or VPs or the C-suite, which is really interesting. And so again, what that has done is water HR into that admin position versus the heart and body and soul of, you know, the organization, which it should be. Um, and so when we when we spoke to these recruiters, um, they like I said, they had a very stringent process, you know, and they said that this is my recruiting process. It has to be done in like 10 to 20 steps in this exact manner. Um, and we're like, OK, that's that's really odd. Why does it have to be that way? You know, recruiting should be flexible. It should be creative. Um, you know, it should be equitable. Um, and we found that. It was because many of these software dictated it um, and because the recruiters have gotten used to how they needed to do it using the software they had grown inflexible um, and so this creates a problem of a few things of equity of efficiency of effectiveness for any organization right um, and so while these software companies are, are you know tooting that hey we are automating software um, in the reality is that they are actually creating a bit more process and rather a very inflexible process um, you know instead automation should mean that the process becomes faster more flexible and takes less time to do the job um, but instead we're seeing companies put more emphasis on recruiting hiring more recruiters um, and putting all the emphasis in recruiting versus the entire organization strategy. Um, and so we've kind of changed what automation means on our software. Um, it doesn't mean that the roles are diminished or taken away. Um, rather, it takes care of all the smaller busy work so that all of the HR personnel can, you know, basically refocus and reinform their own role and do what HR is intended. Um, which basically is to plan for the future organization while ensuring that your workforce is aligned to your operating strategy. Um, and at this point, I can guarantee you that majority of companies are not doing that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that more holistic perspective on, on automation and HR tech and what it can do for your company, especially since I think HR tech is such a quickly growing space and a lot of companies are trying to automate this part of the workflow, that part of the workflow, um, but maybe um, aren't looking at it in, in different ways, what exactly automation can do for the company. So that's really interesting. Um, I'm curious, as someone who's focused on helping tech companies, and, and all companies really become more equitable in their recruitment processes. Um, for you, as you've built ProSky, what does building a diverse team mean to you? 
Yeah. Um, so diversity to me personally does not mean affirmative action. Um, it's I've spoken to so many companies and a lot of them have created like um, a ratio process. Like we need to hire this percentage of um, this kind of candidate, you know, whether it's due to gender or the color of their skin or whatever that might be. And that to me is, that's not right because it will create a lot of frustration within the organization. It may create unseen or unspoken politics, right? Um, but rather diversity to me means creating a more equitable process in both hiring and promotions. And hopefully it's a process that's free of politics and bias. Mm -hmm. So just to kind of give it a bit more example, if I were hiring a female for this job, I'm hiring her not because she's female, but because she really is the best for this job. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. That's an interesting point um, with the comparison to affirmative action. Just, it makes me think of the efficacy of, of something like that and also even the, the barriers that would keep candidates from getting to that interview process in the first place um, is interesting to think about. Definitely a tough tough question to answer. Diving into fundraising, um, at what point in the process of, of building your company did you begin fundraising and um, what advantages or disadvantages did you think you had going into the fundraising process? Yeah, so at the beginning of our journey, um, we were very fortunate enough to have made it into 500 startups. Um, and while some people's experience might have been different from mine, my experience was that, you know, 500, they had such a 500 startups, um, that being it, um, they had such a strong push for diversity. In fact, in my batch, we were batch 11. Um, we had, I believe, like, like close to 40% female founders, uh, which is typically unheard of in the accelerator program. Um, and not only that, but, you know, I felt that we had a lot of people there who were rooting for us, who believed in us. And as a result, um, it helped open a lot of doors for us. Right. Um, and so, uh, you know, in the beginning, I, I really had that strong support and, um, and we were able to create, um, or not create, but raise, um, a great seat round. In fact, we, we raised the most in our batch, um, during that time. Um, which was really helpful because it enabled us to, you know, be able to hire um, certain individuals um, and be able to get a lot of things going as a result for that. Um, so, so that's when we started that whole fundraising process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's great. And as a tech founder, did you ever feel pressure to relocate to Silicon Valley or New York? Um, since yeah, well, you know, and I see that was a great part about 500 startups. Um, they never put that pressure. Um, and in fact, they said, you know, it's it's better to kind of spread out because then our network becomes bigger. Um, and so I think that was a nice thing about being part of, it might have been that batch or that period of time where, you know, people there, that's what they were, you know, advocating for. And so we never felt the pressure to have to stay in Silicon Valley. I definitely heard that from a few investors when we were raising around, you know, saying that, oh, you should stay in Silicon Valley for sure. Um, but then those were not the investors that we eventually went with. Um, and I think because we had so much of that support, um, it made a lot of these decisions of us, you know, moving away from Silicon Valley um, and still, you know, having built 
a pretty strong network um, in the Valley um, and being continue to be successful as a result of that. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. Actually, I'd love to ask about that move from Silicon Valley. Was there anything that drove the, the relocation to Lehigh? Yeah. So initially we actually relocated to um, Southern California first. Um, obviously cost was a big factor. You know, we have always been very, um, very careful with fiscally with how you know we work with our the money that we fundraised um, how we've um, operated within the company itself so that definitely was an important factor the next thing was you know being a founder in silicon valley is pretty stressful on many levels um, of course you know you you need to perform but i feel like that's wherever you go you should have that you know in your mind um but we were as founders and especially for me you know being a, a female founder i was constantly invited to all these different events um which didn't allow me to really have that work-life balance i wanted to um because i have a family i have kids and um at the same time you know it's a startup so you have to put in a lot of work um into it um, and then after that, you are also expected to come to these events. Um, and it's kind of an unwritten thing. Um, nobody really calls you out if you don't come. But if you don't come enough, um, you know, you'll soon be dropped off the list, um, which is really hard then because then your you know, network gets shrunk as a result of that. So what I found was that moving away from it enabled us to still be invited to all these different events. Um, but then we didn't have that stress of, you know, thinking I had to be there because I couldn't be there, um, which was really nice because I felt like it kind of gave us um, the best of both worlds where it allowed us to focus on our business um, so that we could be successful. At the same time, we were still in a lot of these groups. And so whenever we made trips to Silicon Valley, we could always join up in these groups. We could meet up with these people, um, which I really liked. Um, so, so yeah, that was part of our experience um, for that. Um, moving from California to Utah was the next big step. What we found was that we were trying to hire for a lot of positions such as sales and marketing. Um, and even though it was in Southern California, we were still going against a lot of Silicon Valley companies just because the two were so close together. Um, in terms of salary packages, um, a lot of the candidates were saying, hey, look, I'm gonna get double the amount in Silicon Valley and they should just because it costs so much more in Silicon Valley. Um, but we didn't wanna compete with that knowing that our standard living was a lot lower, but that was, some, that was something that a lot of the candidates couldn't see. Um, and it could be that a lot of them had never been to Silicon Valley. And even though we explained it to them, it didn't quite you know, make sense to them. Um, moving to Utah, Utah actually has a very, very strong talent pool, um, especially when it comes to the sales force. Um, and it's going to, it's enabled us to be able to find like the right talent at, um, you know, a much better rate just because the standard living is much lower for us. Um, so in our case, we're able to hire more experienced people, a personnel, um, pretty much at um, a lower operating cost while still giving them you know, a good salary, good benefits. Um, and so that was a no brainer for us. 
Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting to hear about. Um, just the differences between even LA and Silicon Valley and work-life balance, fiscally, what that looks like, and and um, with the talent pool in Utah as well. It's such an interesting perspective. I guess one thing I'd love to hear about is, you know, female founders and, and women founders of color, especially, have a notoriously difficult time fundraising um, in Silicon Valley and, and elsewhere as well. Um, and so I'd love to hear, having gone through the process of successfully fundraising for ProSky, what's your perspective on how venture capitalists can do a better job of increasing racial and gender equity throughout that fundraising process? Yeah, for sure. I mean, first thing first, hire more uh, females in their firm. <laughs> I can't even tell you like how many firms I spoke to where I didn't even speak to a single female. Um, and I think it does make a difference because they do bring a different perspective. I mean, some of our best mentors um, within our investor portfolio um, has come from, you know, female investors and come from, from investors in minority. Um, and so I think it's really important for that to happen first and foremost. Um, secondly, we have a lot of um, friends and associates who also started startups roughly the same time as we did, right? Um, what I found though was that our male counterparts who had the same revenue streams as us had a very different due diligence process than we did. Um, it was less intrusive. It was much faster. Um, a lot of times it took them just a few weeks to close um, with, like I mentioned, a much, much less intrusive due diligence process. And so that was really interesting to me. I'm not sure why that is so, um, but I, I, you know, since we started the process and initially I didn't really think too much about it, but as we went further into the process and, you know, I definitely was putting a lot of time on the investment side of things because it was requiring me to not only pull different kinds of reporting and documents, but to also create a lot of documentation, a lot of white papers, you know, um, more, I, I think sometimes more than expected. Um, and, and so I started contacting some of my counterparts who had just raised the same round um, just not too long ago. And I knew, and I went after the ones who I knew had very similar revenue streams um, as we did and was so surprised to find out that the process was so significantly different when it came to due diligence. Um, still something that I'm trying to figure out why, but um, that was a big part of my experience. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. And I think, I think one speaks to the importance of having peers in the industry who are going through the same experiences you can kind of compare notes with. And I guess also it makes me think about how female founders are evaluated relative to male founders and, and maybe if there are different standards for success or or if um, as venture capitalists are so used to seeing uh, male founders succeed that um, it's, it's more difficult for them to go through that diligence process. Definitely a lot yeah. of thought there. But I guess also, did you feel um, during that process that the extended diligence, you know, Im impeded your fundraising in terms of being able to close? Um, or was it just kind of a hassle in terms of not being able to focus on other parts of your business? Yes, it definitely took a lot of time away from the business, which um, 
you know, it's not really helping anyone that an investor would want to invest in because you would want your founders and um, all their employees to be very, you know, highly focused on what they're doing. Um, and as I, and I do understand that, you know, we do need to provide um, a good level of information um, to our investors, but there, it's kind of like a gray line to, you know, walk on. Um, what I found was that investors who, um, have that we have a very successful relationship, you know, as I look back and kind of see what that due diligence process was, I noticed a few different things. Um, the investors who have helped us a lot, who we have a very good relationship, and I would say who have been um, part of the reason of our success were investors that really look at the founders. They spent time talking to the founders. They spent time really understanding who we are and how we operate it um, and, you know, our vision for the future um, versus the investors who were so um, highly scrutinizing every operating detail, every financial detail. While, while that's really important, I also found that after the fact, um, they were still very focused on those items versus how is our business doing? How are we moving ahead? How are we growing? Um, and I think it's something that investors need to understand that those are two different personalities that you're looking at. If you're looking for someone who is great at busy work, <laughs> who is really great at details, um, they may not be that visionary founder that you might want leading a company for the future because any company can hire those kind of employees who are very good at what they're doing. Um, and in fact, most founders should hire those kind of employees because they're probably better than most founders are at these, you know, details. Um, and so I think, you know, I think there is a difference um, and especially with early stage, so I'm talking about pre-seed, seed, series A, um, I really think the focus should be on the founders, on the founding team, and what you believe they can do and they can help propel the company to become. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's that's a great point. I know we're coming up on time. Have two more questions that I'd love to ask you just about your entrepreneurial journey at large. Firstly, what part of your entrepreneurial journey has brought you the most joy? I think the best parts have been um, having discussions with whether it's potential clients um, and whether they actually ended up closing the deal or not. Um, it's been with people who um, have seen our vision of what we're trying to build and the kind of um, HR role that we're trying to reimagine and create for organizations. And when we hear people like, I've been looking for this, I've been trying to tell my boss, or I've been, you know, that this is what we need in our organization, that is the best validation. And and we always come out of those meetings with such a high. And like I mentioned, that there have been times where we didn't close those deals for different reasons, you know, whether they didn't have the budget or they couldn't get that buy-in, you know, but knowing that there was someone there who really understood what we're trying to do um, has always been like a highlight um, through, you know, the whole process of building ProSky. Yeah, that uh, must feel amazing to, to get that kind of validation. And to close, how do you define success um, in your career and in life? Yeah, um, I define it as being able to have a successful business while having, or building a successful family life. 
um, which I think it's really difficult to do. But um, I always have to remind myself that at the end of the day, you know, I'm doing all this. Yes, of course, every entrepreneur say we're trying to save the world. But at the end of the day, we're doing it for our families. Um, and so we need to have that kind of um, attitude and integrity moving forward with our businesses as we would want our families um, to see us have. Um, and knowing that we're doing this for them, um, I think that's very important. So that's how I define success is having that good balance between each other while still being successful. And while you may not be successful like within a month because you are devoting time to two different entities, um, in the long run, I believe you'll be more successful because you're happier. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I think that's definitely sounds like can apply not only to people building businesses, but also young people starting careers everywhere. So I love that perspective. Thank you so much again for, for speaking. I loved hearing your responses to these questions and really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure to check out our other female founder interviews for even more insights and advice. To stay connected to all things Harlem Capital, you can find us on Twitter at Harlem Capital. Until next time, keep building.